0: I'm Michael Hayward, host of the podcast series, Coach on Your Shoulder. In this podcast, we'll explore the world of executive coaching, and specifically, get to know what coaches do, the various ways they work, and how you can take advantage of a coach to get ahead in your career, with your projects, or in any area of your life where you could benefit from some help in reaching your goals. In this series, we're joined by Melissa Simmons of Luminology, a new Texas-based coaching business. Melissa draws on her extensive business and education experience, as well as her training as a Marine to coach entrepreneurs and business leaders. Okay, we're back for episode three of our conversations with Melissa Simmons. Hello again, Melissa. Hey, Michael. And today, I think a a great part of this conversation is going to be about understanding how we balance our approach to improvement especially when we think about our strengths and weaknesses. And the first question that always occurs for me when I think about strengths and weaknesses is, is it more important to correct weaknesses? Or is it more important to improve on our strengths? Or, you know, how do we figure out how to balance between working on things we're good at and things that we're not so good at?
1: Well, I'll start out by giving you the universal answer, which is, it depends. (laughs) which is a wholly unsatisfying answer in most cases, and it's also frequently the most accurate answer. Let's say, for example, it it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to be just better in general? You could make a strong case for saying that you do need to find balance and work on both. If what you're trying to do is excel in a particular area, then it could be argued to focus on your strengths. And I tend to bias toward working on your strengths or leaning into your strengths. And I think that it would be foolish to ignore your weaknesses completely. What do I mean by that? You might ask. I think there's a big risk if you focus on your strengths and you get into this mindset of, well, this is just how I am. Take it or leave it. I think that that's a big risk, especially when you're talking about how you function at work and maybe your professional trajectory. For example, I could say, well, I just, I'm very direct and I tell people like it is, which is something that's true and it's a strength. And if I take that to the nth degree and say, well, this is just how I am, take it or leave it. And then someone that comes to my attention that me acting that way also comes across as being kind of a jerk. If I ignore that and just say, well, this is me, take it or leave it. I'm leaning into my strengths. Then I run the risk of alienating people or limiting my own growth as a result. Yeah. So I think that even if you are someone who tends to lean into strengths, it's simply foolish to ignore your weaknesses completely.
0: So if you think about that example you were using of you know somebody who's, who just tells it like it is, I hear that, and I'm like, okay, well, that can be an advantage, right? You're not beating around the bush. But even then, you can learn how to improve. So if I start processing that, I think, Hey, there's a strength and a weakness in that, mm-hmm. and so you can you can still refine. So even though you might look at that, at it as your strength or you know a particular benefit that you bring, it doesn't mean you can't get better. You can always get better at it in a way that uh, is more effective in the ways you want to use it.
1: Exactly, and I think we touched on this a little bit in our last conversation. And to summarize, the the, the concept is that context matters. Something that is a strength in one instance, might actually function as a weakness in other areas or in other times or different applications. So to even say strengths versus weaknesses, it's not a static definition of those things.
0: Right, right. It's one thing to say strengths and weaknesses. It's another thing to know your own strengths and weaknesses. So how do you start figuring out your strengths and weaknesses? I think I'd always wonder about how hard it is to be honest with yourself you know, I, I may or may not have a good view of which things I'm good at and which things I'm not. When I hear something, some feedback or some assessment shows me what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. It takes me a minute to figure out how to take that in and be honest with myself. So first of all, how, how do we effectively identify the strengths and weaknesses that we bring to a situation?
1: Well, going back to our last conversation, we talked a lot about assessments and that can be a good place to start. You have ostensibly an objective measure. You're putting some inputs in and it's spitting out some outputs that tells you a little bit about yourself. That can be a useful place to start. Another good place to work on this is self-reflection. What What types of feedback are you hearing from other people? What things do you enjoy doing? There tends to be a lot of overlap between what we like to do and what we're good at. There's certainly exceptions to that also. I have gotten feedback from other people about, in fact, years ago, as an aside, I ended up going down this rabbit hole of getting a real estate license because I'm good at several of the things that add up to being a real estate agent. And as I was going through this school, it turns out I hate real estate. I didn't like it. I wasn't interested in pursuing it, even though I'm good at many of the elements that add up to being a real estate agent. So it's important to, to keep context in mind. So it's a combination of maybe you do an assessment, you observe your own reactions to things, you listen to what other people have to say to you, and then ultimately you Trust your intuition, because I think each of us have some inner wisdom where we kind of know what we're good at. And there needs to be some alignment between what you're good at and what you like if you're actually going to keep pursuing one of those things.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It explains why I have an accounting degree, yet have no interest in becoming an accountant.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And why did you get that accounting degree? Probably you're good at some of those elements or somebody told you Mm -hmm. you'd be a great accountant.
0: What well, it was a combination of good at the math and, you know, I saw it as a means to an end, which was becoming a business leader. And it looked like a good pathway to get me going there. But then I discovered that there's a lot of it that I just don't care for. I'm not good at the, the regimented and detailed approach and the rules that you have to follow when you're an accountant. Just don't, that doesn't align very much with the creative side of me. So so that was all that was all fine. To, I bring, think, that, mm-hmm, to
1: bring that yeah. full circle though, with the question you started with, is it better to focus on your strengths or your weaknesses? If we use your example, if you took the approach that you should work on your weaknesses and shore them up, you would have mm-hmm. stuck with that career path.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. That, you know, I would have I would have seen that it was more important to become good at the things that I didn't think I was good at or didn't care for in the world of accountancy. what happened though was that uh, i I found a different pathway that led me to a similar place still took advantage of some of what I was good at, but let me bring other things that I was good at into you know my day to day that I wouldn't have really been able to do in the same way had I been an accountant and for me that was the the creative side of of what i enjoy the you know the visual creative work that i later on got to do a, a bunch of so there's this idea of you know things that are easy to do and things that are hard to do and sometimes working on our strengths will feel a lot easier than than trying to address our weaknesses is it true that it's only worth working on something if it sets up as pretty hard to do is that is that where we start or should we look at the relative effort in a different way.
1: I think it's very tempting to fall prey to that, that anything, it has to be hard in order for it to be worthwhile. And maybe this is some of my own bias because I joined the Marine Corps because it was hard. I wanted to join the hard one. And so this is a reflection of probably my own bias. And I think that a lot of people have this instinct to say that, well, if something's worthwhile for me to work on, it needs to be hard. And this is something that I've learned over the years that that's really a misconception. And that a lot of times breaking things down into small manageable chunks is really where the magic happens and that making things attainable and easy, especially if you're trying to make some sort of change is really how you make real progress and that the magic is in the consistency, not in the the measurable effort that it takes to do something.
0: Right. So if we unpack that just a little bit, I I think I heard something valuable to me in that which is something that looks really hard, very quickly can become overwhelming. And yes. it becomes overwhelming because simply because we haven't started to break it down into component pieces the way you suggested. So if we, you know, if we can take this big difficult thing and break it into smaller pieces. I mean, it just becomes a project management kind of exercise. It's like, what are the steps that I need to take to get from where I am today to where I want to be with this relatively large thing that I want to accomplish? That's not easy for a lot of people to do. Is there value in practicing?
1: I think Yes, absolutely. And I think when I encounter someone who's feeling stuck or still a little bit overwhelmed, the answer inevitably is set the bar lower you redefine what success means. And when you set the bar lower, as soon as you start to generate some success, then you have some momentum, then you wanna keep going and the process to a large extent becomes self-sustaining. So let's say you wanted to come let's come up with an arbitrary example. You wanna have $100,000 in your bank account. That sounds overwhelming. Well, what does success look like? If your only definition of success is $100,000, it might be overwhelming to the point of causing inaction. Mm-hmm. If your definition of success is, I wanna save $25 this week, maybe that's attainable. If you still right. feel overwhelmed by that, then you might have to make the bar as low as possible. I need to save a dollar today. Mm-hmm. And once I know I've succeeded there, then psychologically I have a win. Okay, I, I accomplished my goal I made the bar low enough that it was easy for me to attain. Now I do it again, and do it again. And then I start to push that boundary a little bit, not to the point of pain and overwhelm, but to the point of just stretching my limits. And the next thing I know, I have $100,000 in my bank account.
0: You can apply that to a lot of things. I honestly think about the same thing when it comes to weight loss. If I went to the chart, and I have done this in the past, if I, of, if, you know, based on my height, and and age and everything like that what i should weigh when the laughter dies down as to you know how realistic that is i i realize that well first of all that would be an overwhelming goal to try to to try to set my sights on losing a lot of weight now relatively speaking it's to me it's a lot of weight but i find if i you know if i break that down into pieces and say well what i really need to do is lose a pound this week so that i can lose another pound next week and mm-hmm. it starts it starts to become something it's like well i i know how i can get from here to there right that's that's not so difficult the other one and i was reading a unrelated article today not long before we started speaking and it was about a different topic solo travel and the idea of solo travel can be overwhelming for people because you know you're on your own in a strange place and depending who you are and where you're from, what your experiences are, that can be a very scary thing. But it can also be a liberating and, and enlightening kind of travel to do. And I thought there was a good piece of advice in there, which says if you're going to do some solo travel, you don't need to go on a 8,000-mile plane ride to you a know, completely foreign place uh, and just do it like that. You can start small, start close to home. Mm-hmm. Right. Go go someplace that you can drive to in a day and, you know, go there for two or three days and practice traveling on your own. So the idea is that you start practicing a thing that you're unfamiliar with. And then once once you've sort of broken the barrier of doing it once in a small scale, then you can say, OK, now I can ramp that up a little bit. I can do a little bit more. Or I can take the next step. And then, you know, maybe this third or fourth time you go on, a, you get on a plane to go travel someplace on your own. It's no longer an overwhelming task. It's just that, well, that's just one step further than I did last time and it worked last time. So let me just add this one little bit into it. And now it's a lot less daunting as a task when you're trying to work on it.
1: Absolutely. And I think we can go back to the original concept of strengths and weaknesses, that when you're trying to accomplish something big, an overwhelming goal that can seem daunting at first Leaning into your strengths can be a helpful tool to get you started. So with your example of travel, maybe you're good at picking out restaurants. So you pick out, you pick one city to go to and you pick out some restaurants and that becomes the, the backbone of your trip. You've leaned into your strengths. You've set the bar low enough. You start to generate some momentum. It's kind of bringing it all together. And the other thing is sometimes you have to attack a problem indirectly, like your weight loss example. If you're solely focused on losing however many pounds or even one pound per week, that can also be overwhelming. Sometimes the magic is in taking an indirect focus. If you do the things that will add up to losing one pound this week, walking a certain number of steps or keeping track of what you're eating, then you kind of let the results happen on their own by focusing on something else instead. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you get your mind? How, how do you get yourself into the right frame of mind to start to address strengths or weaknesses? You know, is this the sort of thing that works best when you're thinking of, you know, trying to reach a new career milestone or get a promotion or run a marathon or you know, you've decided there's something that you need to do or you've decided there's a way you need to you know grow or anything like that? Is that is that essential to working on this stuff or is is this something we can do at any any point in our lives?
1: We can do it at any point. And it's easy to see how it relates when you have a big goal in mind. If you have a specific goal, like running a marathon or achieving a promotion or changing careers or completing higher education, it's easy to see how this framework would apply in those situations. And it's more difficult if you're day to day and you're thinking, I just, I want to be better. I want to be my best. I want to thrive. I want to be a, a better leader i want to do a better job at work i want to serve the people that work with me it can be harder to realize how these same concepts apply when you don't have a big specific goal in mind and yet i think it's still applicable
0: when we get around to having a better understanding of our strengths and weaknesses and you know maybe and we've developed kind of a point of view on you know for ourselves where we want to start you know how we want to address, let's say, for example, address a weakness. How do we get started down the road of actually working on this thing it It can't just be like you know in my weight loss example, it's nice for me to say, "Well, I know how I can lose a pound. I mean, I just not have a couple of beers this week, and I could probably lose a pound. But how do we get started on the self improvement side of this once we understand where our strengths and weaknesses lie?
1: There are so many tools that are available. And I'll start with one that's why we're here. We're talking about coaching, hiring a coach or enlisting the help of a coach formally or informally is a great way, especially when you're working on something where you're not as strong. We already agreed that we, people tend to want to work on their strengths. Strengths have a strong overlap with what you're good at, what you're naturally inclined to do anyway. If you're looking at changing something, working on an area of weakness or getting some perspective, Enlisting the help of somebody outside of you can help, whether that be a formal coach or an accountability partner, joining a group. It's something where you're outside of yourself and you have other inputs. Let's just take the the physical fitness example one step further. If I go to the gym and I'm writing my own program, I'm going to tend to gravitate toward the exercises that I like, that I know how to do, that I'm good at. If I have a session or two with a personal trainer and ask them to help me work on some of the things that I'm not as good at, they're going to give me exercises that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. Mm-hmm. That can be extremely useful because it gets you out of your box and it helps you have an expanded worldview and new information.
0: What, what's your experience with the role of colleagues or peers? Or yeah, I, I think of the phrase accountability partner and I'll, I'll tell you an example that I thought you know reflected on me I have a bike and a mountain bike and I know how to ride it occasionally I will go out and ride it on my own I discovered that when I ride with somebody else the riding experience is entirely different and I've I discovered that when I ride on my own I don't push myself particularly hard when I ride with somebody else I do and it's because I'm trying to keep up or I'm trying to take a new approach to it. So what's the role of the people that are around us as we are trying to get support or generate momentum for the thing we're trying to work on?
1: Sometimes it makes the difference between doing it and not doing it. If you are someone who wants to read more and you join a book club, you're More likely to do the reading when you know you're going to have a conversation with other people that have also done the reading. It's having an agreement with other people. And sometimes it's externalizing the commitment. Instead of saying, it might be easier for you to say, I'm going to show up to the book club and I will therefore read the chapters I need to read so that I can participate in the discussion intelligently. Mm -hmm. For many people, that's an easier pill to swallow than to say, I will carve out 30 minutes per day for myself to read and establish that as a discipline on my own. It can be an extremely powerful tool to make agreements with other people. And in your own mind, you start doing things because of that agreement with other people instead of just deciding on your own to do it.
0: Right. I agree with that approach. I find that if it's just in my calendar or in just in my personal to-do list I can let a lot of different things potentially get in the way of doing it. But if I've made a promise to somebody else to do it, I tend to put a lot more effort into focus or focus on showing up prepared, Mm -hmm. right? Actually, actually doing it before, you know, and we can call that being deadline driven or we can, you know, I call that, you know, managing by my calendar, right? I have it in my calendar. I'm like, I know I need to be ready for that. So I put the time and effort in to get there.
1: I'd like to point out one thing here, the difference between having a friend be your accountability partner versus hiring a coach. And I'm not just talking about asking someone for advice, having a professional relationship where you hire a coach and you're paying them money for their services. There's an important distinction here, and that's the element of reciprocity. If you're meeting with a friend and you're helping each other, that's great. And it's very powerful. And I would encourage people to do that. And in that type of relationship, it's a reciprocal relationship where, how are you? And then you return the question and you ask each other and it's balanced. When you enlist the help of a coach and you're paying them for their services, it's a non-reciprocal relationship, which means it's all about you. You're there to focus on your development, your goals, Mm -hmm. and the coach Mm -hmm. is there to help you. And that is something that is often overlooked as a benefit. And it might be perceived in some ways as selfish. And I would argue that it's not. It's a way to focus your efforts and to maximize the time that you're spending on working on these things.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. And not just because I'm a coach, <laughs> but, but because it's it's the nature of the relationship But the reciprocity part. Yes, I agree with that. Absolutely. There's also a professional aspect to it. Right now, you're talking to somebody. You're dealing with somebody who's an expert. You're in the case of a coach. You're quite often paying that person to do it, and you know there's a little saying, I guess, that you could, you know, if you're paying, you're paying attention. It's it's not it's not casual. It's harder to say no to. If you don't show up, you're the only one that has to pay a price for not showing up, you know, yeah. or showing up prepared. So there, you know, there's value in that sense, because it raises, again, it raises your level of accountability and commitment to the process. And so maybe it's not for everybody. I'm not going to pretend that, that it is, but for people who particularly respond to that idea of, you know, I need to pay more attention to this. And I want to know that I'm dealing with a professional and I want to show up that that's a great pathway to, to get you there right? Because you've got somebody who's going to notice and you're going to care if they notice if you if you succeed or if you don't succeed. Absolutely. So Melissa, after working on improving st- our strengths or correcting on our weaknesses for a while, some people might find that they sort of plateau in the same way that they plateau when they're on a fitness program. And they think about, you know, maybe switching over to CrossFit as a way of varying the routines enough so that your muscle memory gets confused and you push past that plateau. What can people do with a coach or with a mentor or on their own to push past plateaus that they find as they're working on self-improvement?
1: Adding in some variance can be a useful way to break a plateau, most certainly. And there's a concept called the third door, which I like to Introduce in situations like this, especially when a person gets into kind of either or thinking. When someone is feeling stuck or they're feeling like there's only this option or that option, or I need to keep doing this, or I need to stop doing this, my response is that there's always a third door. There's a third option. And the indicator to look for the third door is when you're feeling like you're faced with a binary decision. Let's say, for example, the we talked a little bit about weight loss. So you're having dinner with your friends and you're thinking, I either need to eat the dessert and go crazy or just deprive myself and not eat the dessert at all. And in that situation, maybe the third door is you have one bite of the dessert, you enjoy it fully, and then you're done with it. It doesn't have to be an either or proposition. And that can help people in many cases break through a plateau
0: something that occurs to me uh, as a benefit of working with a coach or a mentor especially one that doesn't have a personal stake or personal connection to you so you know kind of objective third party view is they might suggest something that you would never would have thought of before so yes the binary choice where there's like one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum and you can pick something in between but there's also the idea that have you tried it like this mm-hmm. where this is something that you'd never would have thought of because you already, you know, you're already so focused on the dessert thing that you didn't realize that maybe coffee was actually the answer mm-hmm. to, to to the whole thing and, you know, would have would have worked elegantly for everybody. So it's that idea of jumping To a whole other place. And sometimes our brains are so focused on their own, you know, confirmation bias way of reinforcing this is the thing I need to do. This is the way I need to work on it. And then somebody who isn't in your mind, thinking that same thing with you, just basically can jump you right out of the track and say, just how about that? Do it like that, and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, that totally would have worked. Let me go down that road, and it'll I'll enjoy it more. What are other ways that people can get creative when it comes to, you know, making progress towards their goals?
1: Going back full circle to this idea of is it better to work on your strengths or your weaknesses? We've talked a lot about that throughout this conversation, and. In some cases, you really can augment your strengths by delegating your weaknesses. Here at Luminology, I have a partner that works with me, and she does a lot of things that I'm just not that good at. And it's enabled the greater whole of Luminology to grow so much faster than if I was doing everything on my own. If I took the time to do all of the marketing and the branding, first of all, it would not look as good as it does, and it would be far behind where it is now, because I've partnered with someone who has strengths in that area. It's enabled me to not ignore my weaknesses, but to augment by delegating and partnering with somebody else. That's Mm -hmm. another way to get creative Mm -hmm. when talking about balancing out strengths and weaknesses.
0: Okay. What else should we talk about when it comes to strengths and weaknesses, whether knowing them or, or working on them? I, I think first thing that occurs to me is If you needed to do one thing this week, like what would you do to get started on either understanding or working on something?
1: I think a good place to land this is that it's helpful for people to embrace their strengths. Regardless of whether they also work on their weaknesses or not, it's important for people to embrace their strengths and realize that they're unique and that they bring something special that nobody else has. And that's valuable. And it sounds maybe cheesy and a little bit trite. And I think it's worthwhile to just Mm -hmm. take some time to reflect on the wonderful things about you that make you unique. And that's a good place to start. It's a good place for us to end this conversation. And it's a good place for anyone to start thinking about these things.
0: Awesome. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, Looking forward to continuing the conversation. And uh, we'll do that in, in our next episode. You've been listening to Coach on Your Shoulder. I'm Michael Hayward. Coach on Your Shoulder is a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to at all the finest podcast outlets. Coach on Your Shoulder is co-produced by Melissa Simmons of Luminology. If you have questions about finding a coach or how you can get the most of a coaching relationship, drop us a line. We always love to hear from listeners like you.